0: The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. Am I fundamentally secure in this world because I have a Heavenly Father that loves me? Okay, this is something that we have to work on. There's something that we wrestle with all the time. So Paul's going to say, "Don't." it's the sense of, it's continuing. Don't be conformed, be transformed. So there's always a sense that your mind needs to be renewed. And you can see this kind of wrestling throughout Scripture and a couple of other places. And I would, I would encourage you to write these down and to sit in them, to read through them, because I'm just going to have to kind of go over to give you highlights of them. But, okay, the first one is uh, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Uh, Paul is going on, and what he's trying to argue fundamentally is that he, want, he he's, he's in a sense begging. He's saying, look, you've got to throw off the things that, throw off kind of, kind of all this junk that does not matter because Christ is above all and overall, he is before all things. He's at the end of all things. He's redeeming all things. So why are you guys chasing after all this stuff? And there's a there, there's a sense where they're, they're... And he's talking to Christians here. He's not talking to people who are not Christians, who are outside the church. He's talking to Christians. And he's going, you guys, you don't get it. Come on now. Here you are. You guys are bragging about what you do or you don't do. You're, you're talking about kind of the latest disciplines. Oh, you don't do such and such? Well, I do. That's too bad. Going on and on. He goes, and then you guys go on, and you, you start to brag about angels. You haven't seen an angel? Well, I saw an angel, right? And then he goes along eventually. Oh, oh, you've seen angels too? Well, I had like 10. It was crazy. It was a party. You know, it goes on and on, right? Oh, you've seen a regular angel? Well, I saw one of those crazy Ezekiel, beastie, flappy things, right? I got 10 eyes on mine, right? You start bragging about what you have. And he's like, whoa. Well, Why are you doing that? Do you think that that actually has any power at all whatsoever in your life? Do not taste. Do not touch. You're living by all these rules. Did that ever work before? No, it doesn't work now. Because here's the deal. What you guys are trying to do is your hope is in that somehow if you can better yourself or have a sense that you're better than other people, you have a sense of power and security. Okay, so you live out of this thing and you're chasing after fads when the power is right there in Christ. Knock it off. You're trying to figure out how you can be better than your brothers and sisters because then and only then are you okay. Okay? Psalm 37. I mentioned this to some of you. I've been sitting in this passage uh, for a long time. A lot of this stuff, you, Scripture, you've got to sit in for a long time. You've got to pray it for a long time. And it's amazing how God begins to open up things in, in your heart. here's This is David. This is what I'm fascinated about, Psalm 37. There's actually lots of Psalms that are that are like this. That have this sense. But it pulls us into this wrestling. Okay? Some of you have heard this before. Beginning at Psalm 37, this, uh, verse 3 says this, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. What we read is that this is of David and you, you get a sense. And here's what he's saying. He's like, I am holding before myself two ways. The way of delighting in the Lord and trusting in Him, putting my identity in Him, or the way of the wicked. Here's what the way of the wicked are, because I'm seeing this out there. The way of the wicked are use violence. The way of the wicked are uh, don't borrow money, don't pay it back. Okay, be stingy. Take what you take what you can. Uh, uh, beat those who uh, beat those down who, who you have more power on. Speak falsely. The way of the wicked is whatever is expedient that gets you ahead, do it. Actions flow immediately out. And so people look at that and you go, okay, if you want to get ahead in the world, if you want the good life, clearly violence, deceit, lying, uh, stealing. That's how you do it. Because the good life is always about getting ahead. The good life is always about a sense of achievement. And he's looking at that and he goes, he goes uh, I, and he's wrestling, you can feel it, he's wrestling with it. Because it's not easy. Because we all know, we live in these situations, uh, whether it's work or school, and some of us are are in brutal situations where you look out and there is no room for mercy. You have to kill or be killed. And we look out and we go, that is expedient. That's how you get it done. How in the world are we supposed to do anything different? It's not easy. I I don't want any illusions that when we begin to talk about the sense of living in God's mercy, that somehow it's easy. It's not. We know it's not. We know that if you want to get things done, sometimes you've got to treat the people around you like they're enemies. Let me say this. You go, yeah, John, it's easy for you to say. You, you work in a church, and so you're in a church. Everybody has got to be nice to each other. Let me tell you, people that I've worked with in ministries throughout my life, I have viewed as my enemies. I haven't wanted to admit it. I haven't wanted to, to go in there. I don't want to say that my brothers or sisters are enemies. I mean, most likely, if, it's, if this truly is David... He's looking at it, and he's seeing people that, that he, is, he is ruling with. I don't think this is just people who are, are, are kind of classic enemies attacking him. And this is where a lot of us look at that. And we go, oh, yeah, I, well, nobody's shooting arrows at me, so I'll, I can't really identify with what David's talking about, right? Nobody's actually tried to kill me. And, and yet we know what that's like, don't we? I mean, we know what it's like when we have somebody who is going after us. We of yeah, the sense. Somebody who, who has kind of ripped us. Who, who, who has said our ideas don't matter, or don't work, or, 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 are dumb? And suddenly we can feel that kind of constriction, right? You tense up a little bit, and you realize that you start looking at them as your enemies, and you're thinking, you know, there's only one way to deal with this person, and that's to, to cut, to figure out how to cut them out, brutalize them, get them out, badmouth them, get them back, right? It happens in churches all the time. It happens in ministries all the time, and, and the question for me is: When I begin to, I begin to, to sense this, and I, I still do. I still wrestle with this, you guys. I, I, I would say actually everybody. I mean, I, I there's no way that doesn't. You're fooling yourself if you think that if you're going to pretend like you never have those feelings because it comes in and slowly begin to go. Maybe I'm not valuable if I'm not somehow ahead of somebody. Or or if they somehow take a shot at me and I don't hit them back, that somehow maybe I'm not as valuable, that maybe I'm not going to get ahead. Maybe that the good life is that I've got to dominate. And the question for me always is, is to sit back in this and to say, how do I delight myself in the Lord so that my leadership, my influence, whatever that looks like in the world, is not based out of fear? Where are you operating out of fear? If I don't do this, that's how, right? If I don't do this, I won't get. So we justify it. We, we baptize it. We spiritualize it. We can spiritualize horrible things. This happens in marriages. All the time. I mean, you want to go a place where you, into a place where you need mercy. Man, that's a marriage. Right? It, 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 there are so many little things you go tit for tat. You get in that game, you're done. You are done. How do I operate out of a place where I can? I, I don't operate from fear, but I operate from a place of security? I don't operate from a place of I'm powerless and I think that this person is taking away my power. Fundamentally, that's a weak position versus a position in which God has given everything for me. I don't have to worry if I lose this or if I lose that or uh, if somebody takes a shot at me because I'm okay. My identity isn't wrapped up in the promotion. Whatever else. Now, by the way, mercy doesn't mean though that it doesn't mean that uh, you're a pushover. Mercy sometimes means that you actually have to look somebody in the eye and say a hard word. Okay, one more thing about mercy here, or one more thing about these words. Where these words actually get used is interesting because it's, they're only used. The word for transformation is only used four times in the New Testament. It's used of Jesus. When he's transfigured in front of the disciples and he glows, he goes up on the mountain, the clouds come down, suddenly he's talking with a couple of prophets and he's glowing and all the disciples are freaking out, right? Peter starts mumbling and saying stupid stuff like we all do when we get scared, right? He starts talking, 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 you know, there's a sense of Peter's, shut up, I love you, shut up, right? Freaks him out. Okay, it's used of Jesus. When he's transfigured, there's a sense that he's glowing. It's used in Romans, from what we're reading right here, and it's, and it's used in 2 Corinthians. Let me read that for you. This is what's fascinating for me. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17. Paul is talking about that there's a sense of glory, that when Moses went up on the mountain, he glowed. That, that when he was before in the presence of the Lord... He came down and he glowed, and it freaked people out back then too. And so he had a veil over his face. And so he's saying, you know what, when, if, if Moses glowed when he got the law, and there's fundamentally no life in the law, how much more do we glow now that we have the Spirit who's given into our lives? So he says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit is, the Lord is, and there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed, there's that word, into the likeness of God with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is Spirit. You dropped that Spirit in there just twice, just in case you missed it. Right? We're being transformed into the glory of the Lord. Because where the story that we're living into, what we're being formed into... It's not the American dream. It's not not a dream of independence. It's not a dream of creativity. It's not a dream of I have to express myself in the world if I'm going to be valuable. It it is us being formed into the very likeness of our Father so that we begin to take on the glory, the sense of shine that He has. Use your imaginations with me a little bit. You ever been around those people? I think especially of old people. They're not very cool. They don't do all the right kind of stuff, but there's a sense of glow about them, right? There's a, a sense of lightness about them. There's a sense of freedom about them, right? They seem to be kind of carefree. They usually kind of piss us off because we're like, seriously? Do you live in in the world? You know, there's just a sense of freedom to them. My grandfather was like was one of those people. There's a sense that man, he went he went through horrible stuff in his life, and I've talked a little bit about that here. Before he did not have an easy life, but there was a sense of generosity and grace, and he has every reason to be pissed and angry and bitter and tight with his money. Graceful and generous. I don't know why. I don't know why, unless there's something else going on here. There's people in this church, and this is why I love UPC. It's why I love being part of this wide community that we can gather and we can we can get into community and and be in each other's lives, and we can go out in mission, and yet we're part of this. Large community, and I have met some unbelievable people that are around here. And you don't, you don't, they're not always the people that, that are up front that get lots of attention necessarily, but they're these wonderful folks who are old, and there's just a sense of like, you know, they might be wearing a sweater that you go, oh man, really? But they're glowing, they're light, they're life giving. You just want to sit with them because there's a sense that, that, you, that life just flows into you from them. So, the question is Are we operating from a place where we have been given everything and our actions flow out of that? Or are we living in such a way, being conformed in such a way, that we have to earn our status, our power, and our uh, security? Well, the last thing is this is that when we do this, there is a, a tremendous amount of freedom, but what that means is responsibility which fundamentally means maturity. Let's look at the scripture again. So what we see is that this is about the renewing of your mind so that you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The good life becomes not then about us following a set of rules and regulations. It becomes about us listening to the Spirit in our lives. And that gets really freaky really quick because you want someone to tell you what to do. Because you want someone to be able to blame when it doesn't go right. And, and, and yet, what Paul will hit again and again, people will say, Paul, you're anti, you're, you're, just, you're about for just going for it. No restraints whatsoever. And Paul goes, no, no, you don't get it. I'm talking about a freedom that comes through the Spirit that's not through the law. Because the law doesn't do that. But, but when you're living out of the Spirit, it's actually the, the bar is raised higher than lower than what the law is. Jesus will talk about that when he talks about in John 15. Again, reading that, vine and branches, he said, fundamentally, it's about your connection to me. You're built for relationship with me. You're built to, mo- You're built to look like a model. Model yourself after me. I'm your creator. We're in relationship together. And He goes, here's the deal. You're, fr- You're my friends. You're not slaves. You're my friends. I've told you what I'm doing. So sometimes people will say, hey, you know, Christianity, it's it's this huge crutch because it's all just, it's not about free, independent thinking and all that kind of stuff. And we go, no, it actually is about, maybe for some people it is, but we're supposed to use our mind. One of the commentators would say it's a paradigm shift. It's a whole different shift on how we even view life. And now we're supposed to look out and to say, what is it? And i got to test it. I've got to think about it. I've got to think critically. I've got to ask questions of every situation I'm in. Not simply what is right, what is legal, but maybe not ethical. What is right? What is good? What has God created me to be? What brings me towards a sense of glory versus away from it? What draws me to a sense of being complete like my heavenly father? Versus a shadow of myself. Jesus will talk about. He, he, here's a situation. Matthew, kind of chapter twelve. He'll talk. There's a. He gets in arguments all the time, right? With with the Pharisees, who fundamentally, while following the law, violate the very thing that they're trying to uphold. Okay, all the time they're missing the point. So they're they're they're, they're mad at Jesus because they're, they're breaking Sabbath laws. And he's like, "You guys don't get it. If you guys would have understood what they what were written in the in the prophets I desire mercy not sacrifice you're arguing over sacrifice and you're, you have no mercy in your life so you want to sit and you want to ask me a question of whether I should take somebody who has a shriveled hand who can't even provide for his own family should I heal him on the Sabbath and you're wondering does God should we do good on the Sabbath like duh of course you should you see what I'm saying there are these moments where we go in where we can't have l- rules to tell us what to do we now have to listen to the Spirit. We have to now discern and test with our own minds what's the right thing to do. Should I speak up in a meeting? Should I keep my trap shut? I don't know. You could speak up and, and actually that could just be out of your own sense of, uh, of needing to be affirmed. And maybe you'll do more harm than good. Maybe you just need to keep your mouth shut. Maybe for some of you, you need to start speaking up because uh, there's just nothing but lies. There's nothing but half-truths. There, perhaps somebody, and, I, and I'm guessing you guys are all in a lot of meetings, and this doesn't have to be an overly spiritual thing. This is simply about uh, people. You're sitting in meetings. You're sitting in, in groups, and you're sitting in groups of friends, and, and somebody is dying for somebody to say something. Everybody's thinking in the room. Should, should I say something or not? I don't know you have to listen to the spirit should i break up or should i hang in there i don't know you got to listen to the spirit sometimes it's an act of mercy to break up sometimes it's an act of mercy to to hang in there should i buy should i buy this or should i not i don't know i mean you got i told you guys recently we finally gave in we had to wrestle do we want to buy a minivan okay we fundamentally are uncool now apparently do we buy a minivan or not i don't know do you, buy, do you buy this car or this house or not? I don't know. You have to listen to the Spirit. See, this isn't about whether... What we want to do is we want to be able to say, I'm not that, right? I'm not materialistic or I'm not poor. Right? I'm not part of the crowd or I am, I'm doing my duty as part of the crowd. This is where Christian ethics... As Bart will talk about this. A German theologian will talk about. Christian ethics mess stuff up because they're not necessarily predictable. He's he's thinking about specifically looking into the moment um, where Nazism is on the rise. And so you could say, hey, look, I'm just, I'm just, it says in the Bible, I'm just, it's biblical. I need to obey the leaders. I need to honor the government and kill Jews. Really? You can't hide behind that. Christian ethics mess stuff up because they always play with the status quo. And most likely, if you're listening to the Spirit, what God is going to call you to do is the thing that is courageous, is the thing that leads you to integrity, is not the thing that will be easy. Psalm 37, he, we love that. God's going to give you the desires of your heart. Whew, that'd be great. desire of my heart is... Well, here's the promise. That he'll make your righteousness shine like the dawn and the the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. What are you going to get? What's fundamentally the real desire of our heart? It's not a new house. It's not a girlfriend. It's not a wife. It's not a boyfriend. It's not a new job. It's not a job promotion. It's it's to know that we've lived our lives in such a way that we matter and that we've poured our life into something that's meaningful. We've made an impact. That's what David's saying. I don't know what you're going to get. You might get something, you might not. That's not the issue. God actually doesn't care about that, and fundamentally, you don't either, really. You want to know: Am I becoming a person who is solid, who is beautiful, who is courageous? And I, am I pouring all my life into something that is going to—I'm going to want to flush down the toilet because I'm a miserable wreck and my family sucks in 20 years? Or have I poured my life into something that nobody's noticed and it matters? Here, you guys. Here's the deal. Uh, why I love this and what happens in this room is that we have the opportunity right now to be people who are revolutionaries. And I don't, I don't want to use that word a lot because it, 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 you, revolution on the cheap, right? You can be a revolutionary just by buying a product. We use it all the time. But revolutionaries in the sense that it's not gonna, we're going to look very, very different. We're going to be in, in different uh, vocations. And yet revolutionaries because we are people who are fundamentally listen to the Spirit and seek what is good. People who are becoming righteous who are living our lives in such a way of whether it makes headlines or not, that we're turning Seattle upside down because we're not doing what is right. We're doing what is good and what glorifies God. We're choosing the way of maturity versus the, the way of easy success. That's when we begin to turn things upside down. That's when you change your family. That's when you change your particular area of work. That's when you begin to change a neighborhood. That's what God wants us to do. So my question then for us to sit in, I'm going to have the worship team come up, is say, what is it that you need to lay down? What's the it that you need to lay down? The thing that is begging for your attention, the thing in which there's anger attached to it, the thing in which there is a lack of peace, in which there is an abundance of shame and guilt. The way in which you've come to faith but you continue to try to prove yourself to other people all the time because you're so afraid that they're going to see you for who you are and not want you. What is it? Lay it down. There's no power in it. There's no love in it.